You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Very excited about uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, You know, we've been kind of going through the book of Corinthians, uh, the letter to the church in Corinth that the Apostle Paul wrote. And again, if you're here for the first time uh, or you're here, you came in the middle of the series, I'd encourage you to go back uh, to our podcast to kind of see where we're going and kind of what we've been talking about up to now, uh, because then you'll get a better idea of as to why I'm talking about what we're talking about. Uh, but primarily, you know, we understand the city of Corinth. It was a cosmopolitan city with numerous religious perspectives and centers of worship and opportunities for all sorts of corruption and sin. And, and these had begun to influence the church, the local gathering, the assembly uh, in Corinth. The believers had begun to rely more on human wisdom and human perspective than on God's wisdom. And so Paul writes this letter and he uses the gospel to help the church understand that the way they're to live and to do church is going to look foolish in the world's view if they do it God's way. And so he's trying to help them understand that God's wisdom is going to always be superior to human wisdom, and yet in in humanistic perspective it looks like foolishness. And we've talked about this idea, uh, you know, in our modern setting here. And the reason why I've chosen this letter is just because I, I do feel like Long Beach sort of represents or reflects a city of Corinth. So many perspectives, so many uh, uh, opportunities for corruption and sin and all the kind of stuff that we have here in the city. And, and we are to be the church. We are to be the light in this world. And yet many times the world influences us rather than us influencing the world. And I think it's a good time to go through this letter uh, specifically talking to believers, talking to followers of Jesus. And so if you find yourself not in that category or you're still trying to figure out what you feel about faith, just pay attention because you'll get an inside scoop into what it is to be part of a gathering, an assembly, and what the Bible says, an ecclesia, a church. We use the the idea, this this concept of uh, wearing gospel glasses. And um, I don't know if this is working or not, but um, it should be. Uh, If we can go to the next slide. Uh, So we had this idea of having gospel glasses. In other words, that when we view things through the lens of the gospel, we view things differently. It's going to change the way that we view people and interactions and the world and church and all that kind of stuff if we view it through the lens of the gospel. And so when you view it for the, through the lens, when you view relationships and leadership and sin and spiritual gifts all through the lens of the gospel, you'll grow in gospel wisdom, true wisdom. And we see how Paul addresses uh, issues in the church. And last week, We saw how he was addressing issue after issue after issue, and then he sort of takes a pause and reflects and starts praying and appeals to the church. He appeals to the church that everything you do, you can do everything you want to do, but if there is no love, you're nothing. I can be awesome at every spiritual gift in the Bible, But if there's no love, I'm nothing. 
And we talked about this last week and, and, and how love will lead to having an equal concern for each other. When one has a victory, the whole church has a victory. You know, last week, Donovan got baptized in the teen ministry. And, and it's awesome. And, you know, Donovan, is, is, he's back here serving with our uh, camera, uh, visual, uh, video camera ministry and doing the live stream and stuff like that. And he's already using kind of his willingness and ability to serve the body of Christ. And he's been doing this before he became a disciple. But this is his heart. But you see, when Donovan gets baptized, it's not just a teen ministry victory. It's a whole church victory, right? This is a whole church. It, it, it affects the whole church. And so we talked about this love. You see, when there's love, you think this way. When you're in the singles ministry and there's love, you think a teen baptism is pretty awesome for the church. When you're in the campus ministry and you hear about a, a, a dating couple dating purely and getting married, you think, wow, that's a victory. Even though I'm 18 years old and that's kind of far ahead, that's a victory for the church. See, because when there's love, it leads to equal concern for each other. We talked about last week, you know, uh, when, when there's love, it will lead to building up the church rather than tearing it down. Using our gifts and the different gifts that God has, has set amongst the, the body of Christ for the common good. Not to lift yourself up, not to make yourself look great, not to like, you know, toot your own horn over here and like that, but to really build up the church for the common good. Answering the question over and over again, what does love require of me? I think as disciples, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we always held on to WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, I'd like to take us a little bit deeper than that. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? And answering this question, wearing gospel glasses, changes the way we view relationships, church, leadership, serving, spiritual giftedness, all that kind of stuff. I, uh, a, few, a couple of years ago, we had an issue with our music ministry. We just had to get it uh, refocused and figured out. And there's a lot of people walking in and out. And just we had to get it organized. And with that, have somewhat of a vision of what we want it to look like moving forward. And I, um, at the moment, in praying, we took a month off, you know, just music, the 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 instruments and stuff like that, and just had like one song leader up here. And, you know, we just kind of made it work. But um, in that process, I realized, you know, in anything and in everything that we do in the body of Christ, we need spiritual leadership. Sometimes talent or giftedness is not even necessary. It's just spiritual leadership. People that love God and are going to get people focused on loving God. And um, I really appreciate the past few years, Daniel Plymel has stepped up to serve in our music ministry and lead it. And Daniel, Daniel's a funny guy. He, he's, not, uh, he's not really into worship music. It's not kind of his thing. But he's a musician. He's a great, very talented uh, musician. God has gifted him in that way. And so when we asked him to lead the music ministry, he said, well, what does love require of me? Okay, I'll serve in this way. And so he served in the past couple of years, has done an incredible job. We had to kind of streamline our, our music ministry and only select certain people to be on the music ministry and, you know, created some attitudes here and there. But for a time, we just had to be focused. 
And I really appreciate Daniel leading the ministry in a spiritual manner, focusing our worship ministry leaders, our music ministry leaders, on God, on worship, and not necessarily the performance aspect of it. Does that make sense? And he did an excellent job, and it's been, you know, he's transitioning out of that. He's going to be part of our downtown ministry, and so he wanted to take a little bit of a breather for this summer before we started downtown ministry, Sunday services there, because he's going to be back in the mix there. Uh, but, you know, you want to take a little break, and so we're like, what do we do? Well, so I asked uh, one of our teens, seniors in high school, Simon Sapinoso. I said, hey, Simon. Hey, Simon, would you be down to, like, lead the music ministry and kind of help coordinate the musicians up here and the rehearsals and all that kind of stuff? And Daniel talked to him, and he's down. To, we had to ask his parents for permission. You know, Edmund and Sandy, okay, we can ask him. And, but I'm just so encouraged as a church, we're focused on raising up a next generation. Does that make sense? It's important uh, for, for, for that to happen, for our young men and women to use gifts to bring glory to God. And I'm so excited. Simon's going to, you know, he, we're rehearsing this past Sunday, and he's kind of telling the guys what to do and stuff like that. And I just, I'm so encouraged by his willingness to serve, using the spiritual gift to serve in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Um, th- this, is, this is what we do for the common good. A lot of times I think in our spiritual gifts, we can kind of get lost in the crowd. We're here on Sundays. There's so many people. Oh, well, that guy's going to take care of it. Oh, I don't need to worry about it. That guy's going to take care of it. That girl will take care of it. I don't need to be here early. That girl will take care of it. We think this way because we're so big, but we don't, then we don't, we don't realize, wait, I've been gifted by God with something, but I'm not bringing it to the table. Instead, I'm using it at my job or using it in another venue, but I'm not using it to build up the body of Christ. And so I just want to leave that there for you. What does love require of me? You may have something, a gift in your heart, a gift in your, the way that God's created you, that I can, man, I could help with this. I could serve, what, why does, why, I could do that. I could help, I could be part of that team. I could serve in that way, amen? Part of doing this study is being able to look at what happened or what was happening in the local church in that day, how Paul addresses it, and what principles apply to us today. So, for example, we're going to study out chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In chapter 11, the first part of that chapter, he talks about an issue with the women in the church. And he says, you've got to cover your head if you're going to worship in public settings. Uh, and he kind of gives this, this overall rule for the Corinthian church. And so I look at that and I'm like, I'm not going to preach about that today. So don't worry, you can, re- you can go read it on your own and get all kinds of confused if you want to. That's on you. All right. Uh, I didn't want to go there today because everybody's got different hermeneutic or hermeneutic means understanding or interpretation in regards to that. Uh, But but there's obviously an issue in the Corinthian church that was causing distraction in the gathering of disciples. And so he gives some specific direction that applies to them there. Maybe not for us today, but for them at that time, it applied. And overall, though, I think the principle still is. With gospel glasses on, through the viewing of the lens of the gospel, what does love require of me? If love requires of me that I wear a covering in the gathering, then I'm going to wear a covering in the gathering. Does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of the heart of Paul as he addresses that specific issue. But he gets more specific about their meetings 
of the body together. And this is where we're going to spend our time uh, this morning um, in remembrance of me. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Wow, that's not a good sign. So your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine if that was said about us? Your meetings do more harm than good. So basically, when what Paul is saying is that when Christians, Jesus is Lord, been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, when Christians gathered together for church, he's telling them it's more harmful than anything else. Because you divided, he says, the issue is you're divided. There's divisions in the church. And now we spoke about this a few weeks ago when he went through chapters 1 through 3. There's disunity because of leadership personalities, not the leaders causing the disunity, but more so the humanistic, human wisdom Christians in the church. And so he's heard the report. He addresses it, but he brings it up again. Divisions in the body of Christ should not be happening. With gospel glasses are on, when they're on... We'll try to embrace differences and see ourselves as equals at the foot of the cross, all in need, all of us in need of salvation through Christ. So in other words, it's not that you come to church and you say, wow, that sister really needs salvation. That sister right there. No, that brother. Dang, that brother, he needs to get close to the cross. I can stand over here on the outer sphere of the cross, but that brother needs to get like at the foot of the cross. Not that. It's no, 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 no. When you come together, all of us equally in need of salvation at the foot of the cross. And there should, therefore, we should embrace the differences. There's going to be different culturals, cultural backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and even, uh, you know, mental health uh, backgrounds and, and, and issues and parenting. And there's going to be all kinds of stuff that comes into the body of Christ. And he says, listen. There shouldn't be disunity. There shouldn't be divisions. Because when that happens, you're doing more harm than good. You know, in this particular setting, the division he's talking about has a bit more to do when they come together for their meetings to have communion. There's a division between the wealthy, probably the wealthy and the poor during communion. Let's look here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. So then then when you come together... It's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. See, when the church would gather... To have the Lord's Supper, the the communion, you know, to to remember Jesus and remember his sacrifice. It was a time of community and celebration that included a meal. And in church history, it was kind of known, uh, called a love feast. 
So when you gathered together in someone's home, you would have this kind of celebratory potluck meal and everybody's hanging out, fellowshipping, and then it will culminate in having the Lord's Supper. Let's all pause to remember the Lord. But what would happen, what was happening in Corinth is that they would have these meals and a lot of the, the wealthy people would be able to get there earlier because they didn't have to work. There's a lot of there's slavery in Corinth. There's a lot of poor uh, brothers and sisters and believers in Corinth that had to work uh, a little bit extra and so they'd come and show up late and by the time they'd show up all the food was gone and in fact people were getting drunk on the wine that they're supposed to use for communion and you think our church has problems you know what i'm saying i mean this is this is incredible this is this is the first century christianity a lot of times we have this ideal i want to i want our church to to be like the early christian church are you sure because these guys were getting drunk at church. I don't want anybody getting drunk over here. This is what was happening in the gathering. See, the incredible power of the gospel, and this is Paul's point. Listen, you know, the incredible power of the gospel is that it's for everyone. The wealthy and the poor would be eating, should be eating meals together. But in Corinth, the poor would, ha- would come in late and miss out on all the food. Keep on reading here in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also uh, passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he brings them back to the original intent and command of Jesus as to what is to occur when you come together. He tells them that what happened that night, what Jesus was betrayed, this night, the night of Passover. We can read this in any gospel. You can read this in uh, John 13. You can read this in Luke uh, and the end of Luke, the end of Mark, the end of Matthew, you, you read the, the, the last supper that the, he has. And it's during the celebration of Passover. So here's kind of a, ten, a tangent big idea. Jesus uses the Passover meal, you know, celebration of the Exodus where God takes his people out of Egypt. And he sends the angel and they pa- the angel passes over the, the, the gates uh, of, of the houses of the Israelites and really, it's a sign of, of God's power to save his people and to protect his people. And, and Jesus, this is kind of, a, kind of a cool thing to think about. Jesus uses that time, the Passover, to make this bold statement. Kind of like, here's a new Passover. Because through this cup that you're going to drink and through this bread that you're going to take, you have new salvation. You have new hope. You have a new life. You take this bread, his body, to remember the body of Christ and God's plan through the body of Christ, the church. Jesus is the focus, not your hunger, not your sin, not your own personal issues. Jesus is the absolute focus, his power to save everyone, but even more so his believers for his people, his community together. He says, take this cup, this bl- the, the cup that represents this blood, a new covenant. 
No more sacrifice. You don't have to take a goat to the temple anymore. No more sacrifice. A new way to be right with God because of Jesus on the cross. His death paid the debt for sin, made it possible for people to enjoy forgiveness and new life in him. And so, you know, there's no command here to have a meal together as you're doing communion. He's actually telling them, go eat at your house, eat at home. If you're going to come together and remember Jesus, eat at home, then come together and remember Jesus and relish in the relationships that you have in the body of Christ. And that the gospel is for everybody from every economic class. And then he says this in verse 26. This is kind of cool. Whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It says, whenever the church gets together to take the Lord's Supper, the church is proclaiming the Lord's death. In other words, this word, this word proclaim here, it's used throughout the New Testament to describe the mission and the ministry of the church to an unbelieving world. It's the prophetic announcement to those outside the church that Christ is the only way to salvation. And when the world, see, when the world in that time, see, when the world sees the church eating and drinking in order to remember the significance of Christ's body and blood, the word of the gospel is made visible. In that time, communion meetings, when they would gather, were one of the most evangelistic testimonies of the church. Why? Well, because if somebody's unbelieving and walks by and they see and they hear this idea that you're eating somebody's body and drinking somebody's blood, that's going to pique somebody's interest to have some conversations. Either you stay away from those weird people or you come up and you say, what are you guys doing and why would you drink somebody's blood? And then the conversation starts and you're proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Paul's helping them to see that they're messing up. They are messing up the mission and the ministry of the church by taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You guys follow me here on this? This is, this is, these are some big ideas, especially for us as disciples that gather every Sunday to take communion. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the, cu- the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you, many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord... We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. The unworthy manner. You know, he's talking about this. He says here, you know, you, when you eat the bread or drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against Christ himself. And it's not in this context. You've got to think, okay, who was this written to? Why was it written to them? What was going on there? The context of this was not necessarily unconfessed sin. I think a lot of us, we take communion, we're like, man, if we take it in an unworthy manner, we're thinking it's because we didn't get open about sin or we're in guilt or we're not repenting or something like that. But in context uh, here, the issue here, remember, when you understand who he's talking to, the issue here is that they were turning to the Lord's Supper, they were turning the Lord's Supper into a debauchery. 
party and not waiting for other Christians to arrive. Basically, they're not caring about their brothers and sisters. They're not thinking about the community. They're not thinking about the gathering. They're thinking about themselves. So the issue is not necessarily, it's interesting, this is a very interesting insight. The issue is not necessarily about you and God. The issue is more addressing you and others, you and the community, you and your relationships. He says, you eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner and are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. So you're, so you're sinning against the only hope of salvation and Christ's church. Because to sin against those for whom Christ shed his blood, in that context, the poor, is to sin against Christ himself. Think about that next time you come to church. You got a little conflict with somebody. You got a little uh, unforgiveness in your heart. You haven't forgiven your friend, your, your that brother. You haven't forgiven that sister. You're going to give her a little rib-breaking side, side hug. Ugh. Yeah, I'm fine. And go take your communion. Mm-mm. See, you're taking that at that point. You're taking it in an unworthy manner because you're not caring. You're thinking more about you and God. Oh, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But you're not thinking. I need to forgive her. I need to forgive him. God, please help me. Help me. Help me. No, no, no. You need to help her. You need to help him. God, hook me up, hook me up, hook me up, hook me up. No, 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 no. God, hook them up. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for the relationships. You guys follow me here? So he tells them, he tells them, you know, examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the cup. It's interesting. And I remember becoming a Christian at a young age. And I grew up in this church. And I'd be like in kids' kingdom. Well, we didn't have kids' kingdom because we lived in the mission, in the mission field. And so I was like. Me and my brothers, we're like the only kids. So um, we just sneak in the back and, and eat the communion bread. You know, that was kind of like one of the things that you did in, as a kingdom kid. You kind of eat the communion bread without anybody watching. While everybody's listening to the sermon, you're eating the communion bread. You know, that was kind of the, and then you're cool, you know. Um, and so I remember becoming a disciple and becoming a Christian. And Jesus is Lord. And I got baptized. And, and I remember one of my questions was like, well, what? What do you guys do? Why are you guys so quiet during communion? Like, what's that all about? Is there like, like a whisper? Is there like, a, why is everybody so still and so quiet? And, and I remember, you know, it was explained to me, oh, it's meditation. We're trying to really think about how we're doing with God. And it's interesting when you read this passage in the context that it's in, Paul's not too concerned about you as an individual in God. He's a little bit more concerned about the church there and their relationships with one another. Does that make sense? He's more concerned about the horizontal than he is about you, the individual, and your, uh, and your prayer to God. And so he says, you know, drink uh, before – if you're going to have some self-reflection, do it before you take it. But then once you take it, party on. Have a great time. This is a celebration. I think uh, I think it's really cool to think about that, that the Lord's Supper was not a time. It, 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 it was a time of of reflection, but also it, it, it was connected to 
a, a circle of believers, a gathering, a, a, a kind of a party or celebratory atmosphere, not a, I'm going to take my wine now and I am a sinner. And it, it wasn't very quiet. It was a more like a, Jesus is Lord. Yes, let's remember him. Let's remember him and the church. And we get to be part of this body. of This is incredible. And then you take this bread and you take this cup and you look around. You smile at each other. And man, isn't it awesome to have what we have in the body of Christ? Does that make sense? It, it was more of a, 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 a gathering uh, issue more than an individual. I think, I think our American Christianity seeps into the church sometimes. It's all about me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God, instead of us and God, the community and God. Does that make sense? He says you're not eating and drinking without discerning the body of Christ. In other words, and so because you're not discerning the body of Christ, the church, the family here, you're bringing judgment on yourself. In other words, examine your heart before you take it and reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus for his, his new people. Uh, there should be some level of understanding as you partake the elements, not just, a, oh, okay, what's this bread? Okay, I'll just take it. No, there should be a level of understanding as you take it. And that's incredible what Paul says here, and I don't know if this is true for us today, but this is an incredible thing that he's saying here. He's, saying, he's basically saying, you know, the reason why a lot of you guys are weak and sick and dying is it, he kind of attaches it to because you're not taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, in a worthy manner. That's kind of a big thing. Now, he's an apostle. He saw Jesus. He's, you know, filled with the spirit to say things that, you know, other teachers and prophets were not able to say. And he and God uses Paul in a great way. But he's sort of attaching some of the difficulties, physical ailments and difficulties that the church was happening, what was going on in the church in Corinth with the fact they're not discerning the body of Christ. They're not really thinking about communion. They're not really uh, they're, they're not they're, their meetings are doing more harm than good. Verse 33 says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So he's basically saying it doesn't you don't have to do this love feast thing that you guys are doing. In fact, stop doing it because you're getting drunk. Eat at home. And then when you come together, that way everybody can eat together if you're super hungry. And then you get some appetizers. You got some appetizers, you know, just kind of eat, 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 eat finger foods or whatever. But but basically be disciplined about the fact that communion, the Lord's Supper is about the gathering. It's about the relationships. So how does this affect us today? The primary reason Christians in the early church gathered together was for taking communion and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. It was always in that setting attached to a meal, although there was no command to do so. Um, This was of first importance. This is something that is of first importance to us uh, when we gather uh, every week together as, as a Sunday service. Now, in the past, in our church, what we've done is we've had a separate time. Whoa, I'm just dropping this thing. We had a separate time where we did communion and then we'd have a sermon. kind of. But lately what I've been doing the past few months is I've intentionally been saying, you know what, let's have the sermon and end it with Jesus. Because 
that way we're all, it's just one message and we're all funneled in and we close out always thinking about Jesus, not how good or bad the speaker did, but Jesus. And we take communion together. Does that make sense? So I don't know if you've noticed that, but we've been having a lot, all of our sermons have been ending with communion. Because I want our focus when we leave here to be on Jesus, not on whoever's speaking. Does that make sense? Communion is a time of self-reflection before we take the element, but not as we do it or after. It should be a time of celebration and joy and expression of gratitude for the relationships in the body of Christ, the community, the gathering, the ecclesia, the assembly of Jesus' followers. The issue with the Corinthian church was division and a lack of honor and respect for Christ's sacrifice for all, especially the church. We need to make sure, how does it affect this? We need to make sure that we're resolved with one another if we're taking the elements, if we're taking the cup and the, and the bread, that forgiveness has been expressed, that love has been shown, that the relationships in the church are priority to us as we take the bread and the cup. It's not about you as an individual, but more so about Jesus and his gathering. Amen? Taking communion... And this is this part I love, which I find fascinating. Taking communion is a proclamation of Jesus' death. It's a testimony to those outside of the church that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's a big idea. That's huge. So when we have unbelieving friends or family members come or people that are not members or not part of the body of Christ, when we take communion, it is a proclamation, a preaching an announcement that Jesus is the only way to salvation. So, we're going to do some communion today. We're going to do it a little bit differently, okay? Let me take this mic off here. Let me ask the ushers. Let me have our ushers come down with the bread. We're going to have a little bit more of a participatory, interactive time today. And if you're here for the first time, you're like, oh, no, I came to one of those services I'm going to sneak out right now. No, stay with me. Stay with me here. Um, it, it might get a little awkward, but that's okay. We'll push through. We'll persevere through the awkwardness and, and, and kind of work, work it out. Okay, let's go ahead and pass the bread. Everybody take your bread. Don't eat it yet. Everybody just take it. Hold on to it. We'll wait till everybody gets their bread, okay? Don't eat it. Don't, don't, don't go before your brothers and sisters. Start eating before everybody, you know. Wait for your brothers and sisters, like, like Paul's telling the church here. Just hold on to your bread. Everybody have their bread yet or still going? It's hard to see because I got that light in my face. Okay, here's what I want you to do. As you hold that bread in your hand, you're going to take about 
20 seconds just to meditate on how, what is it about the body of Christ that you're just, I'm just so thankful for this aspect of the body of Christ in terms of the church. Does that make sense? The body of Christ, the church. So I want you to just reflect on that for about 20 seconds. Go for it. Okay, now here's, gonna, here's where it gets a little, uh, make, make it a little messy. What I want you to do is I want you to either lean over to the people next to you or right behind you and don't get into big groups, but just kind of immediately behind you or, you know, the next couple next to you or whatever. And I want you to just, each one of you just pray I want you to, to, to take the bread and then each person gets to pray to God, thank, thanking God for that one thing that you just meditated about. Does that make sense? You guys follow me on there? Ready? Okay, go for it. Now, if you're a guest here, if you're here for the first time, just you don't have to be participating in this. That's totally fine. But if you want to, uh, if you have somebody sitting next to you that's a believer, please join them with it. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and eat your bread if you haven't eaten yet. Yeah. God, thank you so much for this time to be able to reflect on the body of Christ. And thank you so much uh, even for these verses that we got to read today as, as we're reflecting on uh, the importance that you put on relationships. I pray that, um, I pray that we would remember uh, that Jesus died uh, for us, that we may now be his body together.
community, family, relationships, one anothering one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's have the, let's have the ushers come down with the cup. Everybody take the cup. Guys, we're not going to do this every Sunday. Don't worry. Come back and join us again next week. It's just, you know, I'm just experimenting here, just trying to get our minds a little bit, you know, just kind of, out of outside of the routine, do something a little different. Okay? Now, we understand, right, that the cup, when you take the cup, uh, he says, you know, take this in remembrance of me. This is the, the, the new covenant made in my blood, meaning that the blood of Jesus washes over our sin. It, 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 it takes care of and forgives us. And don't drink it yet. Just take it. Hold on to it. We're going to have the ushers come back again so you can put the cups back into the tray because uh, we don't want to leave this all the cups and trash here on the floor. So, um so, yes, so the blood of Christ, this is forgiveness of sin. This is uh, washing. This is God through Jesus washing our sins away. And so what I want you to do as you hold a cup. Again, let's take 20 seconds. I want you to think of what is even just this week. What is the one thing that I'm just so thankful to be forgiven of? <laughs> just think about that. And then. Um, and then gather together in that group again and just kind of same thing. Let's go to God. And everybody there says, God, I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me of blank. Okay? So, everybody got that? Okay, go for it. Father in heaven, we want to come before you as a people and thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving us of our fear and the times that we don't trust in you, that we don't have faith, that we lack faith. 
Father, thank you for your forgiveness of our lack of conviction at times, our tolerance of sin in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness of our cowardice for not proclaiming the death of Jesus when we've given us great opportunities to do so at different, different, different scenarios, different uh, opportunities that, that you provided. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness of our anger, of our impurity, of our immorality, of our deceit, of our disrespect to others in the body of Christ, of our wanting to hold on to grudges and not provide or give forgiveness. Father, thank you for your grace. And I ask as we have taken the cup that we would just remember um, how much grace we have received from you and how much grace we must show to one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to pass the trays and you can put the cup back in there. So that's communion. A little different, right? How do you guys feel? Was that was that a little, you know? Yeah. That's, amen. Like I said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this every week. It's just something different, just to get us out of the routine of just sitting quietly. You know, we, we, there are times we just need to reflect and remember God's given us each other. Amen. Christianity is not a solo religion. We need one another. We need, we need. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.